Chapter Eighteen of Mr. Scarborough's Family. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ostry Fingerhut. Mr. Scarborough's Family by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Eighteen The Carroll Family. Aunt Carroll is coming to dinner today, said Dolly the next day, with a serious face. I know she is. Have a nice dinner for her. I don't think she ever has a nice dinner at home. And the three eldest girls are coming. Three? You ask them yourself on Sunday. Very well. They said their papa would be away on business. It was understood that Mr. Carroll was never asked to the manor house. Business? There's a club he belongs to where he dines and gets drunk once a month. It is the only thing he does regularly. They must have their dinner at any rate, said Mr. Gray. I don't think that they should suffer because he drinks. This had been a subject much discussed between them, but on the present occasion Miss Gray would not renew it. She dispatched her father in a cab, the cab having been procured because he was supposed to be a quarter of an hour late, and then went to work to order her dinner. It has been said that Miss Gray hated the Carrolls, but she hated the daughters worse than the mother, and of all the people she hated in the world, she hated Amelia Carroll the worst. Amelia, the eldest, entertained an idea that she was more of a personage in the world's eyes than her cousin, that she went to more parties, which certainly was true if she went to any, that she wore finer clothes, which was also true, and that she had a lover, whereas Dolly Gray, as she called her cousin behind her back, had none. This lover had something to do with horses, and had only been heard of, had never been seen at the manor-house. Sophie was a good deal hated also, being a forward, flirting, tricky girl of seventeen, who had just left the school at which Uncle John had paid for her education. Georgina, the third, was still at school under similar circumstances, and was pardoned her egregious noisiness and romping propensities under the score of youth. She was sixteen, and was possessed of terrible vitality. "'I am sure they take after their father altogether,' Mr. Gray had once said, when the three left the manor-house together. At half-past six punctually they came. Dolly heard a great clatter of four people leaving their clogs and cloaks in the hall, and would not move out of the unused drawing-room, in which for the moment she was seated. Betsy had to prepare the dinner-table downstairs, and would have been sadly discomfited had she been driven to do it in the presence of the three Carroll girls, for it must be understood that Betsy had no greater respect for the Carroll girls than had her mistress. "'Well, Aunt Carroll, how does the world use you?' "'Very badly.' You haven't been up to see me for ten days. I haven't counted. But when I do come, I don't often do any good. How are Minna and Brenda and Potsy? Poor Potsy has got a nasty boil under her arm. It comes from eating too much toffee, said Georgina. I told her it would. How very nasty you are, said Miss Carroll. Do leave the child and her ailments alone. Poor Papa isn't very well either, said Sophie, who was supposed to be her father's pet. "'I hope his state of health will not debar him from dining with his friends to-night,' said Miss Gray. "'You always have something ill-natured to say about Papa,' said Sophie. "'Nothing will ever keep him back when conviviality demands his presence. 
this came from his afflicted wife who in spite of all his misfortunes would ever speak with some respect of her husband's employments he wasn't at all in a fit state to go to-night but he had promised and that was enough when they had waited three-quarters of an hour amelia began to complain certainly not without reason i wonder why uncle john always keeps us waiting in this way papa has unfortunately something to do with his time which is not altogether his own there was not much in these words but the tone in which they were uttered would have crushed any one more susceptible than amelia carroll but at that moment the cab arrived and dolly went down to meet her father had they come he asked come she answered taking his gloves and the comforter from him and giving him a kiss as she did so that girl upstairs is nearly famished i won't be half a moment said the repentant father hastening upstairs to go through his ordinary dressing arrangement i wouldn't hurry for her said dolly but of course she'll hurry you always do don't you papa then they sat down to dinner well girls what is your news we were out to-day on the brompton road said the eldest and there came up prince chitikoff's drag with four roans prince chitikoff i didn't know there was such a prince oh dear yes with very stiff moustaches turned up high at the corners and pink cheeks and a very sharp knobbly-looking hat with a light-coloured grey coat and light gloves you must know the prince upon my word i'd never heard of him my dear what did the prince do he was tooling his own drag and he had a lady with him up on the box i never saw anything more tasty than her dress dark red silk with little fluffy fur ornaments all over it i wonder who she was mrs chitikoff probably said the attorney i don't think the prince is a married man said sophie they never are for the most part said amelia and she wouldn't be a mrs chitikoff uncle john wouldn't she now what would she be can either of you tell me what the wife of a prince of chitikoff would call herself princess of chitikoff of course said sophie it's the princess of wales but it isn't the princess of christian nor yet the princess of tech nor the princess of england i don't see why the lady shouldn't be mrs chitikoff if there is such a lady papa don't bamboozle her said his daughter but continued the attorney why shouldn't the lady have been his wife don't married ladies wear little fluffy fur ornaments i wish john you wouldn't talk to the girls in that strain said their mother it really isn't becoming to suggest that the lady was the gentleman's wife but i was going to say continued amelia that as the prince drove by he kissed his hand he did indeed and sophie and i were walking along as demurely as possible i never was so knocked in a heap in all my life he did said sophie it's the most impertinent thing i ever heard if my father had seen it he'd have had the prince off the box of the coach in no time then my dear said the attorney i am very glad your father did not see it poor dolly during this conversation about the prince sat angry and silent thinking to herself in despair of what extremes of vulgarity even a first cousin of her own could be guilty that she should be sitting at table with a girl who could boast that a reprobate foreigner had kissed his hand to her from the box of a fashionable four-horsed coach for it was in that light that miss gray regarded it and did you have any further adventures besides this memorable encounter with the prince nothing nearly so interesting said sophie that was hardly to be expected said the attorney 
jane you will have a glass of port wine girls you must have a glass of port wine to support you after your disappointment with the prince we were not disappointed in the least said amelia pray pray let the subject drop said dolly that is because the prince did not kiss his hand to you said sophie then miss gray sunk again into silence crushed beneath this last blow in the evening when the dinner things had been taken away a matter of business came up and took the place of the prince and his moustaches mrs carroll was most anxious to know whether her brother could lend her a small sum of twenty pounds it came out in conversation that the small sum was needed to satisfy some imperious demand made upon mr carroll by a tailor he must have clothes you know said the poor woman wailing he doesn't have many but he must have some there had been other appeals on the same subject made not very long since and to tell the truth mr gray did require to have the subject argued in fear of the subsequent remarks which would be made to him afterwards by his daughter if he gave the money too easily the loan had to be ranged in full conclave as otherwise mrs carroll would have found it difficult to obtain access to her brother's ear but the one auditor whom she feared was her niece on the present occasion miss gray simply took up her book to show that the subject was one which had no interest for her but she did undoubtedly listen to all that was said on the subject there was never anything settled about poor patrick's clothes said mrs carroll in a half whisper she did not care how much her own children heard since she knew how vain it was to attempt to speak that dolly should not hear i dare say something ought to be done at some time said mr gray who knew that he would be told when the evening was over that he would give away all his substance to that man if he were asked papa has not had a new pair of trousers this year said sophie except those green ones he wore at the races said georgina hold your tongue miss said her mother that was a pair I made up for him and sent them to the man to get pressed. When the hundred a year was arranged for all our dresses, said Amelia, not a word was said about Papa. Of course Papa is a trouble. I don't see that he is more of a trouble than anyone else, said Sophie. Uncle John would not like not to have any clothes. No, I should not, my dear. And his own income is all given up to the house uses. Here Sophie touched imprudently on a sore subject. His own income consisted of what had been saved out of his wife's fortune, and was thus named as in opposition to the larger sum paid to Mrs. Carroll by Mr. Gray. There was one hundred and fifty pounds a year coming from settled property, which had been preserved by the lawyer's care, and which was regarded in the family as Papa's own. It certainly is essential for respectability that something should be set apart from a man's income for his wearing apparel, and though the money was perhaps improperly so designated, Dolly would not have objected had she not thought it had already gone to the race-course, in company with the green trousers. She had her own means of obtaining information as to the Carroll family. It was very necessary that she should do so if the family was to be kept on its legs at all. I don't think any good can come from discussing what my uncle does with the money. This was Dolly's first speech. If he is to have it, let him have it but let him have as little as possible. "'I never heard anyone so cross as you are always to Papa,' said Sophie. "'Your cousin Dorothy is very fortunate,' said Mrs. Carroll. "'She does not know what it is to want for anything.' "'She never spends anything on herself,' said her father. "'It is Dolly's only fault that she won't.' 
because she has it all done for her,' said Amelia. Dolly had gone back to her book and disdained to make any further reply. Her father felt that quite enough had been said about it, and was prepared to give the twenty pounds under the idea that he might be thought to have made a very stout fight upon the subject. "'He does want them very badly, for decency's sake,' said the poor wife, thus winding up her plea. Then Mr. Gray got out his cheque-book and wrote the cheque for twenty pounds, but he made it payable not to Mr., but to Mrs. Carroll. "'I suppose, Papa, nothing can be done about Mr. Carroll.' This was said by Dolly as soon as the family had withdrawn. "'In what way done, my dear?' "'As to settling some farther sum for himself.' "'He'd only spend it, my dear.' "'That would be intended,' said Dolly. "'And then he would come back just the same. But in that case he should have nothing more. Though they were to declare that he hadn't a pair of trousers in which to appear at the race-course, he shouldn't have it.' "'My dear,' said Mr. Gray, "'you cannot get rid of the gnats of the world. "'They will buzz and sting and be a nuisance. "'Poor Jane suffers worse from this gnat than you or I. "'Put up with it, and understand in your own mind "'that when he comes for another twenty pounds, he must have it. "'You needn't tell him, but so it must be.' "'If I had my way,' said Dolly, after ten minutes' silence, "'I would punish him. "'He is an evil thing and should be made to reap the proper reward.' It is not that I wish to avoid my share of the world's burdens, but that justice should be done. I don't know which I hate the worst, Uncle Carroll or Mr. Scarborough. The next day was Sunday, and Dolly was very anxious before breakfast to induce her father to say that he would go to church with her. But he was inclining to be obstinate, and fell back upon his usual excuse, saying that there were Scarborough papers which it would be necessary that he should read before he started for Tretton on the following day. "'Papa, I think it would do you good if you came.' "'Well, yes, I suppose it would. That is the intention. But somehow it fails with me sometimes.' "'Do you think that you hate people when you go to church as much as when you don't?' "'I am not sure that I hate anybody very much. I do. That seems to be an argument for your going. But if you don't hate them, it is because you won't take the trouble. And that, again, is not right. If you would come to church, you would be better for it all around.' You'd hate Uncle Carroll's idleness and abominable self-indulgence worse than you do. I don't love him as it is, my dear. And I should hate him less. I felt last night as though I could rise from my bed and go and murder him. Then you certainly ought to go to church. And you had passed him off, just as though he were a gnat from which you were to receive as little annoyance as possible, forgetting the influence he must have on those six unfortunate children— "'Don't you know that you gave her twenty pounds simply to be rid of a disagreeable subject? "'I should have given it over much sooner, only that you were looking at me. "'I know you would, you dear, sweet, kind-hearted, but most unchristian father. "'You must come to church, in order that some idea of what Christianity demands of you may make its way into your heart. "'It is not what the clergyman may say of you, but that your mind will get away for two hours from that other reptile and his concerns.' Then Mr. Gray, with a loud, long sigh, allowed his boots and his gloves and his church-going hat and his church-going umbrella to be brought to him. It was, in fact, his aversion to these articles that Dolly had to encounter. It may be doubted whether the church services of that day did Mr. Gray much good, but they seemed to have had some effect upon his daughter, from the fact that in the afternoon she wrote a letter in kindly words to her aunt— "'Papa is going to Tretton, and I will come up to you on Tuesday. "'I have got a frock which I will bring with me as a present for Patsy, "'and I will make her sew on the buttons for herself. 
tell Minna I will lend her that book I spoke of. About those boots, I will go with Georgina to the bootmaker. But as to Amelia and Sophie, she could not bring herself to say a good-natured word. So deep in her heart had sunk that sin of which they had been guilty with the reference to Prince Chitikoff. On that night she had a long discussion with her father respecting the affairs of the Scarborough family. The discussion was held in the dining-room, and may, therefore, be supposed to have been premeditated. Those at night in Mr. Gray's own bedroom were generally the result of sudden thought. "'I should lay down the law to him,' began Dolly. "'The law is the law,' said her father. "'I don't mean the law in that sense. I should tell him firmly what I advised, and I should then make him understand that if he did not follow my advice I must withdraw.' If his son is willing to pay these money-lenders what sums they have actually advanced, and if by any effort on his part the money can be raised, let it be done. There seems to be some justice in repaying out of the property that which was lent to the property, when by Mr. Scarborough's own doing the property was supposed to go into the eldest son's hands. Though the eldest son and the money-lenders be spendthrifts and profligates alike, there will be that in something of fairness." Go there prepared with your opinion. But if either father or son will not accept it, then depart and shake the dust from your feet. You propose it all as though it were the easiest thing in the world. Easy or difficult, I would not discuss anything of which the justice may hereafter be disputed. What was the result of the consultation on Mr. Gray's mind he did not declare, but he resolved to take his daughter's advice in all that she said to him. End of chapter 18